Hello, and welcome to episode 22 of the iPhone Life podcast. I'm Sarah Kingsbury, a senior web editor of iPhoneLife.com. I'm Donna Cleveland, editor-in-chief of iPhone Life magazine. And I am Noah Seamson, the COO of iPhone Life magazine. We've got a really great show for you today. We're going to talk about some interesting news, some cool tips, and also Apple's quarterly results. Q1 numbers just came out yesterday, so and there were some interesting things that were said, so we'll talk about what all of that means. But first, let's talk about the tip of the week. We have a free daily tip that we send to your inbox every day. Uh, where we give you really cool tips and tricks of things you can do with your iPhone and iPad. And um, Donna's going to tell you what her favorite tip was this week. So this week we're going to teach you how to add emoticons to your text messages. A lot of you probably already are doing this, but I remember when I discovered how to do this, it really changed my whole texting experience because instead of having to add lots of exclamation marks and things like that to your text messages, you can add smiley faces and hearts and... I don't know, whatever you're into, there's a lot of choices. So um, it's actually a little bit of a process to set it up. So you go into your settings app, tap general, select keyboards, I'm scrolling through to find it, keyboard, then tap keyboards again, then add new keyboard. And so you scroll through and there'll be a, a big long list of different languages and in there you'll find emojis as an option. So then when you go back to messages and are writing a text message to somebody, you'll notice on the keyboard that there'll be a globe icon to the left of the space bar or a smiley face icon, uh, excuse me. So you tap that and you'll um, you'll see a list of different emojis you can use. And so if you only have one extra keyboard set up, it'll be a smiley face. But if you have several, it'll be the globe icon. And then you'll tap that and then see a list of choices. So I'm sorry, I don't know if that was very clear, but <laughs> that's how you add emojis to your text messages. And we'll have a link in our uh, blog post about this that if, you, if that wasn't clear for you. I really like using emojis because otherwise your text messages come across as very sort of abrupt and, and they don't have, you can't really tell what someone's thinking. So it's a great way to kind of communicate your sort of intentions as well as your mm-hmm. actual words with a text message. Um, we also have a program called The Insider. Um, Noah, do you want to tell us what The Insider does? Yes, definitely. So the iPhone Life Insider is sort of our premier subscription service. Um, we have the video tip of the day. Uh, So every day there's a new video tip that we release that walks you through the steps of how to do something new on your iPhone. We have an archive of over 300 video tips that you can sort through and uh, and look at uh, different groups or categories and become a master in certain areas. Um, We also have video guides, so we go in depth into certain areas like photography or iCloud or backups or things of that nature. Um, and really teach you the nitty-gritty of how to get those things uh, done and set up for your iPhone. Uh, We also, uh, the Insider subscription includes a digital subscription to iPhone Life magazine. Uh, So every new issue that's released is immediately available to you. And in addition to that, you get the entire archive of iPhone Life magazine since it started. Um, We also have the Ask an Editor program, 
Uh, so send us your questions about different features on your iPhone, something you're having a problem with, uh, and our editors will get back to you and let you know how to resolve that problem. Yep, and uh, often that editor is me. And here are a couple of my favorite insider questions that I answered this week. Um, the first one is from someone who wants to just automatically log into all of the, his accounts on Safari. He says, some of my websites on my MacBook load with my account name and account password pre-written. It's very convenient, but some don't. How can I get every website to be preloaded with my login information? Now, this is actually a MacBook question, which technically we don't really cover, but if you're an insider, I'm probably going to answer your question anyway. But also, this is related to your iPhone or iPad because Apple has something called iCloud Keychain, which um, if you're logged into your iCloud account on your Mac and the same one on your iPhone or iPad, then this information gets shared on all of your devices. And so, I, so iCloud Keychain, it's... Basically, you can sort of store all of your usernames and account passwords, but also like credit card information and, and contact information like emails and addresses. So it's really handy to just autofill those fields and not have to worry about logging in. Um, mm-hmm. And the way you set it up is on a Mac, you would go into the Apple menu. There's like an actual little Apple icon there, and you would go into Preferences, and then go into iCloud Keychain and turn it on. Um, And then for your iPhone, similarly, you'd go into Settings and iCloud and and turn it on. And then what will happen is uh, anytime you visit a site in Safari and you encounter one of these fields, um, Safari will say, do you want us to remember this information and then you can choose yes. And you can also go into iCloud on your computer or your iPhone and actually enter things if you want to just enter a bunch of things at once. Um, but if you don't want to use Safari all the time, there are things like um, like password managing services, like 1Password mm-hmm. is a, a popular one around here. So you have lots of option, options if Safari is not your favorite. But I really like this one. It's free, it works really well, and it's a works across all your devices so if you save something on your mac it will be available on your iphone yeah that said it's not a flawless service so there are some sites that are that specifically design themselves to to not be able to remember that type of Mm -hmm. password some banks some other uh, financial institutions i've run across specifically try to hide that service from you but that said i would say 95 percent of the time my experience is that it's able to just autofill that information right and then again you might not want to make it that easy to log into your bank account from your computer you know because you probably aren't the only one who always uses your device do you Um, guys have any uh, password managers that you recommend because i you know i've used a few different ones but that's something that i feel like is good to have regardless of whether you use icloud keychain yeah, I, I'm. I actually use it in conjunction with One Password. One Password yeah. has a lot of other features as well. It's a fantastic program, uh, so I'd be happy to recommend One Password to anyone. Yeah, and I know David, our CEO, also uses it. I I pretty much just stick with iCloud Keychain, but but I've heard really great things about One Password. Hmm. So the second one is um, from someone whose Touch ID stopped working on their 5S, which you know. That's pretty upsetting. <laughs> What's the point of having mm-hmm. a 5S if your if Touch ID doesn't work? That's one of the best features of that phone. Um, and 
it may seem when something like this happens with your phone, like your home button or your Touch ID stops working, that like, oh no, my phone is actually broken, but it's not necessarily a hardware problem. And in fact, um, what you should do is if you encounter your phone just stops working properly, you've messed with the settings and turned it on and off and nothing's happened, before you decide that it's a hardware problem, you should probably do a hard reset, which is where you press the sleep-wake button and the home button at the same time for about 20 seconds, and it basically like completely reboots your iPhone. And in, the, in this case, it actually solved the problem. So that's something that anytime, it's kind of like anytime your computer stops working, you know, someone will always say, well, did you turn it on and off? It's kind yeah. of the same purpose. You don't want to yeah. like do it all the time, but if you sort of messed with things and you really like have no other options left, do a hard reset and you might be pleasantly surprised. Which, is it just me or is holding down the uh, those buttons for 20 seconds, it always feels like you're holding it down forever? Yeah, you're kind of like, this is never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, but... This isn't working, and then and then it does. Yeah, so it, it is a long time. So just keep holding them, <laughs> and it will all work out. So if you have questions like these, uh, and you are interested in our Insider program, uh, then go to iphonelife.com slash insider uh, and sign up. We currently have a free trial uh, that's running. So try out the service and uh, see what you think. Yeah. So um, next, let's talk about some news. We just keep seeing more and more news about a four-inch iPhone. I mean, like we hear it's going to be called different things. We hear different things about the release date. But the one thing that we keep hearing is that there's going to be a four-inch iPhone. Yeah, so, like a, it, this spring. So what do you, what have you heard that that it's going to have? Well, what I think is interesting about this is at first it sounded like they just want to continue to have a budget iPhone option for people, like the iPhone 5C. But now it's sounding more like they're like Apple wants to offer a premium phone that's just four inches because enough people actually prefer the four inch screen, which right. I feel like is a little bit different and, and interesting because I do have several friends that I know who feel that way, that they don't like the bigger screen, it's harder to reach into the corners, and they don't really care that uh, it's better for watching videos because they're not watching videos on it that much anyway. Right. So. Yeah, I, I think there's, um, as much as the larger iPhones were incredibly popular and people were you know really interested in Apple jumping into the phablet market, uh, there are just as many people that I think feel a similar way about having a smaller phone where they want mm -hmm. it to be easy to handle and easy to use. Uh, so I think it's a good a good step to really go into a three-size phone market instead of a two-size phone market. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see how Apple basically went from offering only one iPhone model to offering, if this four-inch iPhone actually happens, offering three. Um, that's, yeah. That's quite a change. And the, the latest rumors, too, have said that it won't have 3D touch and it won't have 4K video, but that it will have the 12 meg megapixel camera and will have the same processor as the iPhone 6S um, and that it will also have live photos. So it sounds overall like it has a lot of the, the same features as the newest phones, but, but like yeah. not entirely. Well, and 3D touch, I mean... Personally, it's kind of not that exciting of an upgrade, really. Yeah. I don't think that anyone who buys this rumored phone will be disappointed if this phone actually happens. Yeah, I think overall I would agree with that. I mean, I, it, to me, like if you want all of the newest features, it is, even if it has a few less features, that's kind of a problem 
for me personally, but I think for a lot of people it wouldn't be. Right. So, and then um, what about Spotify? Apparently they're adding uh, streaming video. Yeah, they've been having a beta program, so some people are getting the getting video already. Um, and then what I'm hearing is that Android is going to have the app, um, have that added this week and next week iOS devices will have streaming video on Spotify. So what kind of video are they going to be streaming? Yeah, that's what I was like most curious about. Like, is Spotify going to ha- start having TV shows and movies and things like that? But what I was seeing is that it'll be more like videos that you might watch on YouTube that you would instead watch on Spotify, hmm. like Comedy Central, Vice, uh, more just like little smaller tidbits. So those little clips that you sometimes see in like your Facebook feed or yeah, like said, watch on YouTube. Yeah, I thought that could be that could be really nice because on YouTube you get sucked into watching all these advertisements. So if you're a premium subscriber on Spotify, you won't have to uh, have any ads. But if you're if you're for free, then it's the same as YouTube. You'll have ads. Yeah, that's actually. I mean. That's a really nice bonus. Those ads are, can be really annoying, especially because they seem to always be the same one. You know, I know. If you're kind of on a video watching binge, you end up watching the same ad five times in a row. <laughs> no, it's yes. nodding. So you agree? <laughs> yeah, that's def- it's definitely a problem with a lot of newer video services. Their ad teams aren't quite as developed. They have a certain quota, uh, and the sophistication just hasn't hasn't reached the the level that your standard television programming uh, that you're used to has. And so it definitely becomes uh, a major annoyance when you're using the same service a lot. Right. Yeah, I found this to be interesting because I recently upgraded to uh, premium with Spotify. And I also, I like listening to podcasts and I do go on YouTube to watch videos. So I'm curious to see if they do it in a way where like I don't need to leave Spotify to find any of the content that I want. yeah, I mean, that could yeah. be interesting to see how these streaming services start sort of unifying their content and trying to kind of capture all of it. Yeah, if, the they have it, if they have it out next week, we'll have, to, we'll have to follow up on this and let you know how we like it. Yeah. So next I wanted to talk about um, this little section where we talk about either complaints we have about our devices or Apple or... Uh, things maybe we learned that we didn't know before about our devices. So, uh, Donna, have you learned anything interesting or do you have any complaints? No complaints this week. Um, One nice view in the health app that I discovered this week is if you open the health app and you go to health data, there's a calendar view at the top, which for some reason I never noticed before, and that it shows you your month um, at a glance and then will show you for that day your fitness metrics, such as how many flights of steps you've climbed, um, or yeah, how many steps, how many flights you've climbed, and your step count and running distance. So that was just nice. Um, I don't know. I had never really used the health app before, and this makes me want to check it more often because it's just a nice way to see what you've done. Yeah, I really like this calendar view. I think it's really handy to kind of go back at us to a certain point in time and just kind of see the patterns building day by day. It's, it seems actually more useful than just looking at the dashboard in some ways because you yeah. get like sort of everything that's happening on a particular day and then you can go look at the next day really easily. Yeah, although it's making me a little bit depressed about how few steps I've been walking. But besides <laughs> that, it's good. <laughs> it's winter and it's cold. <laughs> 
Just don't look at that. Yeah. Um, well, I actually have a tip from a reader and podcast listener uh, named Dean who says that because we talked about how if you don't, if you want to activate your lock screen and you have like the 6S or 6S Plus, often when you press the home button, what happens is your phone unlocks. And so you don't get to see like those notifications and and it can be kind of annoying. And so then David, of course, was like, Sarah, you know, you really should just press the sleep-wake button. And he's been giving me a hard time about that. Um, yeah, she's basically been complaining about how well Touch ID works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so David rightly has maybe been giving me a hard time about that. But... Um, but this reader recommended that I just deregister one of my fingers from Touch ID and just use that one if I just want to um, access the lock screen without unlocking my phone. And um, it's a small, like, nitpicky thing, but I really think it makes a difference. Like, if you unlock your phone when you don't want to unlock your phone, it's really annoying. And if you have to train yourself to, like, use the sleep-wake button instead, apparently that's really annoying because I feel like iPhones are so convenient. They've made us really lazy. <laughs> so so I really like this. So uh, thanks, Yeah, Dean. I'm definitely going to use that because even though I'm just overall happy that Touch ID works well, it is – it really, like, you always end up unlocking your phone even if you just want to check your notifications. Right. What about you, Noah? Did you learn anything? Do you have some complaints? Um. <clears throat> No. Noah's a happy care for this week. (laughs) All right, Noah, thanks for that contribution. Yeah, absolutely (laughs) welcome. (laughs) So um, maybe we should talk about our magazine a little bit and how people can subscribe because we're not just a podcast and we're not just a website. We actually have a magazine. So, Noah, if people wanted to subscribe to the magazine where they can get more in-depth articles and even more great app reviews and things, what would they do? You can go to iphonelife.com slash subscribe. And uh, right now we're working on our how-to guide for this year, which will be our summer issue. So that's a great way if you're just wanting to subscribe now to jump in and get caught up on all the things that you want to know about your phone. Um, We cover really all of the basic features of your phone and how to use it. And then we also have lots of fun articles on um, different creative ways you can use your phone as well. So uh, go to iphonelife.com slash subscribe and you'll be getting the summer issue soon. Also, I just wanted to say if you have any things that you've learned about your iPhone or complaints you have, um, if you email us at podcast at iphonelife.com, we will share them. So Email us and let us know how your iPhone is frustrating you. Um, all right. So should we get right into gear? Like what gear yes. have you been using lately, Donna, that you really like? Well, so I recently went on a trip to India, and it was interesting because really different gear became valuable to me while I was there. And one of them was the Mophie Power Station, and it's an external battery. And in Fairfield, where we're located here... Um, I really never need an external battery because I always have access to plug in my phone and usually it will last me throughout the day and it's not an issue. But um, I was on a 16-hour flight to India and while I was there, I often didn't have access to a power outlet. So it actually lasted me the entire trip because it's the um, Power Station 8X, so it charges your phone eight times. Wow. And it's just like, it's very slim and sleek. Usually a lot of times external batteries are bulky and this one really wasn't. So it fit easily in my backpack. It could fit in a briefcase and you just plug your phone in. 
Um, and there's one button on it and that just shows you how many charges you have left. It'll have little lights that light up to tell you how many charges are left. So that was awesome. And I, I really recommend that to anybody who's planning a trip where they won't have access when they're like going off the grid or traveling internationally. You know, I don't actually have any gear that I want to talk about this week because I've already talked a lot about how much I love my portable battery <laughs> and my uh, boost case, which is the, my preferred battery case. But actually, we had a power outage that was most of the day the other day. And between my case and my battery pack, I was able to keep all three of our iPhones charged and that was really handy. I mean, what are you going to do when the power is out? Like, you just like yeah. all cuddled together on the bed, you know, me and my kids, like ignoring each other with our iPhones. Yeah. <laughs> and another bonus, by the way, about the external battery is, you know, sometimes in other countries, you will have power surges. And with you know, delicate electronics, you want to be careful that you're not going right. to damage it. So another way to get around that is to use an external battery. Right. So charge the battery and then use the battery to charge your phone. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of a gear, since, like I said, I don't have any gear that I've really been that excited about lately, and I've already spoken endlessly about how much I love my, <laughs> my charger and battery case, I wanted to say I have an app idea. The other day I saw um, a recommendation for an adult coloring app. You know, adult coloring is like a really like trendy, fun thing. Um, and the adult coloring book I've really been interested in is the one where you basically color these like really beautifully drawn swears. <laughs> and I just thought they should really come up with an app where you can color in swear words. Um, I don't know if Apple would approve it, but if they did and someone developed it, I would definitely buy it. So I'm just putting <laughs> that out there. <laughs> What's funny about this is, Sarah, when you came in and were telling me about this yesterday, I thought you were saying it was an app that existed. I didn't realize it's one just that you wish existed. Yeah. So there's um, nothing out there like that? No. Connor Carey, our features writer, was saying that we should develop this app, except for neither of us can code or really draw, but we definitely have the swearing part down. We try and keep it clean on the podcast, but we definitely have the swearing part down. So we could definitely like come up with the yeah. words, but someone else is going to have to draw them. <laughs> All right. What about you, Noah? Any gear you've really been enjoying using lately? Uh, you know, I enjoyed... Um recently setting up the tile for my mother. And, and if you don't know what the tile is, it's a little, um, you know, like a watch battery square that you can attach to anything that you have in your house so that you can track it down or you can uh, set up um, different features where if you, if your phone goes too far from this specific object, then it'll beep at you. Mm, uh, but it allows okay. you to track something down and it makes a little sound. Um, and it's a really excellent product. And not only is the product just nice to look at and clean, but the setup process was really simple. Uh, my mother, who is not incredibly technically savvy, I mean, she's, she's better than many that I know, but still <laughs> not incredibly technically savvy, was immediately able to connect with the function and the ability to use the device mm. uh, and was immediately satisfied in, in the ability to track down uh, these objects. And so... Uh, I was really happy with, with that specific product, its capabilities, and the setup process. Nice. So do you use it for something like your keys you would use it for? Exactly. Keys. You could throw it on your pet. You could stick it on your child to make sure they don't walk <laughs> yeah. out the front door. Yeah. Whatever you want. Yeah. I've actually thought about putting that on my dog's collars, um, yeah. but I've never quite done I have them, and I have them with that purpose, 
because I was going to put them on my dog's collars, but they tend to chew each other's collars off. So, and I don't feel like paying (laughs) for them to like eat that technology, but one of them definitely is a bit of an escape artist. So if you have a dog that's an escape artist and doesn't get his collar chewed off regularly by any other pets you have, Mm -hmm. it can be really great. Yes. There are also dog fitness trackers that have that, but this sounds like probably a much more affordable way to go about that. Yeah, I don't remember the pricing, but it definitely, it's not an exorbitant expense, yeah. Yeah, and and tracking your dog's fitness can be (laughs) fun, but it's kind of like a really unnecessarily like... I know, it seems like slightly absurd. First world activity, I don't know. (laughs) Although, except for it's kind of tracking your own fitness as along with your dog's because usually if your dog's getting out and getting a lot of exercise, so are you. Unless so that's you the... like to take them to the dog park and just sit while they run around. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Moving right along. Right. <laughs> so um, as we mentioned, Apple had its announced its quarterly results uh, yesterday. So, um, so uh, Donna, do you want to tell me what the highlights were of that announcement? Sure. All right. Let's look at some of the numbers. Um, Apple announced that it now has $216 billion in cash and 1 billion active devices um, currently. So that so, doesn't just mean like iDevices, like iPhones and iPads. That's like all the devices. Yeah, including the you know MacBooks, uh, Apple Watches, like any device. Apple that TVs. Apple, right. yeah, Apple TVs, all of that. Um, so that's a pretty impressive number. Um uh, overall revenue, Apple recorded having $75.9 billion in revenue, and that's up 2% compared to the same time last year. It's, uh, Apple sold 74.8 million iPhones. That's up 1%. And 16 point, From the year before. Yeah, and 16.1 million iPads, which is down 21% from the same time last year. Mm-hmm. And that's even including the iPad Pro sales, which, you know, we thought might yeah. boost that. And just to be clear, these numbers, this is like the Christmas season, the holiday season where people are buying a lot of devices and the sales go up a lot for Apple. So to have such a significant decrease in iPads when people are likely to be buying them for gift as gifts is pretty major. Yeah, it's significant. Um, Apple also mentioned that, or Tim Cook mentioned that there are 10 million paid subscribers to Apple Music, which was interesting to hear been kind of curious how apple music's been doing um with the tv os with the new apple tv there are now 3600 apps available and uh, apple also cited a customer satisfaction uh survey from change wave saying that there's 99 percent customer satisfaction with the new iphone success so that just gives you a little bit of an idea of the highlights from just throwing things around here don't mind us in the podcast from the earnings report so I think one one of the major uh, elements of the earnings report that a lot of people are talking about about is the fact that the next quarter is projected to move down uh, for the first time, you know, in a very right. very long time. So, and, and by down, you mean like the sales year over year right, down compared yeah. to the sales in that quarter last year. That's right. So Q two is projected to be lower this year than Q two was uh, last year. Um, and while that's got some people spooked and some people are saying, well, the iPhone has peaked and, uh, and all of this type of thing, I think it's important to, to delve in or dive into some of the nuances of why that might be. Um, and Tim Cook mentioned some of these things in, uh, in the earnings report. One of the things is that the Q2 numbers from last year were actually 
dramatically increased by the fact that the uh, inventory was very tight in Q1 uh, of 2014. So they ran out of inventory. So a lot of the sales they had were sort of pent up sales that spilled over into Q2. And so that increased its Q numbers beyond what they normally would have uh, would have seen. Mm. The other thing that's really important to look at overall is that when you look at sort of the growth of the Q2 earnings, there's sort of a steady, steady growth year over year for many years in a row. And then you get to last year and it shoots way up. It's a huge increase over the other Q2 earnings. <clears throat> and the projection for next year um, then dips back down. But really, it's right in line with the earnings growth that the previous years had set. Interesting. So if you take this year as sort of an anomaly or 2015 rather as an anomaly, that's exceptionally high, you still have a very steady growth uh, in those right. Q2 earnings. So uh, I'm a little bit skeptical of people that are thinking that this is necessarily the top or the peak. It doesn't necessarily, to me, feel that that's the case. Although, when you put it that way, that these are pent-up sales last year from Q1 then of 2015, then if we only have a 1% increase this year over last year in Q1, uh, then that means basically we may have had a decrease if those pent-up sales had actually been fulfilled in Q1. Right. That's true. That's true. Uh, although the the explanation of the decrease this year, um, or not the disc, disc, decrease this year, rather, but the small increase this year uh, has to do with how strong the U.S. dollar is. Right. Uh, and so... Uh, this was brought up many times in the earnings report it was, yeah. where there was 85 cents on the dollar for um, for the value that they had created. Uh, and if the U.S. dollar basically had held steady from their projection time, then they would have had another five billion. I think it was eight billion, something like that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So the fact that they still had year over year gains is pretty impressive. Yeah, definitely. It, it doesn't it doesn't. Um, it doesn't indicate necessarily that the, the company is not doing well. It does indicate that the U.S. economy is doing doing better and that the dollar is strong. Um, that said, what we are going to see is we're going to see the inverse of that. If the dollar goes back down at some point, which inevi inevitably it will, uh -huh. then Apple will gain the benefit of that boost when that happens and the, all of those other uh, gains will then be increased. Right. And, and one thing they kept talking about was macro headwinds, you know, like basically – the entire market for everyone is is kind of challenging, and in that sense, Apple's seems like they're doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other hand, it's the numbers do make clear that the iPhone is Apple's most important product, and so, you know, is it will it be? A, people keep talking about peak iPhone. I mean, can it keep sales up? Will the iPhone upgrade program help, or carriers dropping contracts affect that? Yeah, um, I you, think. The projections, like uh, Apple sold a f like a little bit less in terms of iPhones than was what was projected. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was fifty-five billion was what was or million was what was expected, and it was a little bit under that. Um, but yeah, I sometimes wonder, like since this is Apple's main product and the Apple Watch hasn't really managed to replace that, or the iPad Pro doesn't look like that's happening either. At some point, there's going to reach a saturation point, and are they really going to be able to keep? keep that up. Yeah, I think uh, there are definitely some telltale signs that certain portions of saturation are being reached. 
like in the U.S. Yeah, well, and and one of the things that um, you know that Apple has going for it, and the reason that it's going to continue to be a strong company, you know, for many, many, many years to come, is that a lot of these services are similar to a subscription service. It's a repeat right. purchase. Right. You upgrade your phone again. You have this enormous install base of, you know, 1 billion devices and people are going to replace it when the new one comes out because mm-hmm. they want the latest model. So it's sort of like those, those sales are very much in the bag. Um, uh, but doesn't it seem like that will, that will keep sales steady, but not necessarily growing forever. That's but true. On the other hand, Apple's doing a really good job monetizing all billion of those active devices. They've got Apple music. They've got like app stores for every device they've got. Right. I mean, yes. they're, they're managing to make a lot of money off of those things. Yes. And brought up multiple times was the increase in the services. And mm-hmm. I think it's sort of the, the sort of uh, area that Apple is growing more than many other areas. Uh, is the revenue that they're building from services. And it's certainly a huge Hmm. opportunity for them with such a huge install base uh, increasing those services. And obviously they're they're doing that type of thing by releasing Apple Music that leverages all of their loyal fans and their loyal customers uh, to then pay more for a different service. Um, So I think we're going to see the service area grow uh, in the near future. In terms of the iPhone sales, the projection really is a huge amount of growth in in China. So the Chinese uh, economy slowing down is of Mm -hmm. some concern, uh, but they're going to be opening, you know, stores. There's a lot of capital expenditure that that Apple is putting into China. Um, And so I think the the future of China and the future iPhone sales in China are, are definitely a huge portion of where they're expecting their growth. One thing that uh, Tim Cook mentioned was that I feel like China's network is upgrading a lot right now. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people are wanting to upgrade from 3G. And so that's a big opportunity for them to sell iPhones. Yeah. Um, right. So that was interesting. And also saying that India is a big fo- focus of theirs, that it's the third largest smartphone market in the world and that it's a very young population. And so that seems like an area where they could they could sell a lot of a lot of devices as well. Um, I was kind of curious how the iPhone upgrade program is going to play into new iPhone sales. Now that people aren't locked into a two-year contract, will way more people be buying a phone every year? What, what do you guys think? I don't know. It seems like a very advantageous program for Apple. Um, you know, I, I believe when they first announced the program, we crunched the numbers and it... I mean, really, it makes more sense to just buy your iPhone outright and then yeah. sell it personally and then buy a new one. Well, I guess let me clarify, like the iPhone upgrade program, but also carriers now, you're not locked in. You also can upgrade every year without any penalty. Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't know. Uh, I have no idea how that's going to change things. Do you have <laughs> I, thoughts on that now? I, I don't. I don't have any, any research on that point, but I, but I would expect that it is. Um, it will increase the number of, of phone sales. There's definitely going to be a group of people that were on the fence before that now feel like it's just an easy thing and they can have that as their, as their standard, you know, uh, purchase practice. Um, but there's a lot of people that are more driven by the, by the function of their device. Uh, and, and so those people are going to be holding off for the two years just because functionally they don't necessarily feel like they're behind in that time period. Uh, and they'll stick with that type of cycle. Wasn't I thought yeah. I read somewhere that like sixty percent of the device users are not actually using like the latest device. So they've got a really large base of people who are just using the you know year or two old devices, and 
And again, I think that's why maximizing the revenue from services is so important for Apple's future. Yeah, that also that almost seems more promising than the Apple Watch or the iPad in terms of gro- you know, potential growth. Because I thought it was interesting, they didn't announce what the numbers were for Apple Watch sales, which seems or Apple TV sales. They kind of lumped those all together, and they didn't they didn't break out the iPad Pro numbers either. Yeah, how significant do you think it is, Noah, that they didn't announce Apple Watch numbers? Um, I don't actually think that the fact they didn't announce it was that significant because mm. it's very common to have these new categories be masked uh, in a group um, so that they don't. Um, so that the the media and the attention for those things don't get some type of unwanted, you know, negative boost. Um, so I, I, it's very common to have a newer item lumped in with other items so that people aren't picking it apart and it sort of hides some of the, even if it's good news, even if it is growing quickly, it helps hide that from their competition so that they don't jump on that product too fast. Hmm. That said... I don't see any indication other than the fact that the, you know, the iWatch sales were better than any other quarter, so that's good, but I don't see any indication that either the iPad Pro or the Apple Watch are going to be replacing the potential that the iPhone currently holds for Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what we haven't seen is in the sort of post-Jobs era, we haven't seen a new product that's released that really has the potential to overtake uh, the the iPhone in terms of its importance. Um, and so I think to me, that's the largest area of concern is what is that next major innovation that's really going to be a driver for the company uh, that they can add on to the iPhone? Yeah, I just want to say I feel really positive about the future of iPhones and the future of smartphones in general. I just think We have this whole generation of kids who are growing up having smartphones and as you know your iPhone becomes your alarm clock for waking up and the way you keep in touch with work and the way you manage your schedule and the way you consume all kinds of media and then you know smart homes become bigger the way you just control your entire living situation Mm -hmm. you're gonna have kids who grew up just that's how they manage their life they're not ever gonna be like well smartphones optional I mean if you asked me I really love my smartphone and depend on it, but I could totally live without it. I really doubt mm-hmm. my kids will say the same things when they're adults. So I yeah. I just think that, you know, as long as Apple keeps managing to really dominate in that market, whether it sells the most phones or not, it definitely is making the most profit from them. And as long as they manage to keep doing that and really pursue these emerging markets and really go after the educational market, I think they you know, they have a probably a pretty strong future, even though, you know, you may be concerned about lower Q2 projections. Yeah, I also, I was excited to hear them talking about going after emerging markets. Like when I was in India, I just feel like that could really benefit people there. Like a lot of the people that I met had, were like, oh, can I see your iPhone success? I've never seen one before in real life. And like a lot of them, some people might have an older model, but I just think that could really generate a lot of opportunity a lot of new um i mean it could be just really great for people there so i think that apple being aggressive in china and in india is is a great thing just in terms of opportunities for people i I think the other thing that's very promising on that on that note sarah is the um is the satisfaction rating 
Uh, Apple right. is is continuing to excel in in fulfilling their brand promise. Uh, mm. People that use the device love the device. People, they purchase another phone. Uh, he mentioned that they had a dramatic uptick in um, in people switching over from Android devices to to iPhone devices uh, this last quarter. Um, so th- these core areas that build this brand loyalty are still enormously strong, and again, that helps to to plug into the future of the service industry, which is another area that's growing for them. Right, and Apple does a really great job. As much as people like to complain about it, it's still a very effective business tactic where they basically get you sucked into their entire ecosystem. And so then sort of like leaving your iPhone means leaving, you know, so many other things that, you know, it's just you kind of get locked into it. Don't you think? I mean, yeah, definitely, it's true, and, and there's a simplicity to it that that's that really turns it into an appealing process. There's very little thinking. There's there's much less tech setup. There's much less trying to figure out a bunch of other people services or other ways that other people do things. Uh, and so, so many people are willing to pay a little bit more for that type of service because the simplicity is there. Right. It seems like it's kind of divided. A lot of things I hear from people who love Android is, oh, I get to like customize everything. But I feel like for most people, actually, they don't want to worry about all of that stuff. They just want it to work. And Apple does that really well. Yeah. I mean, I really like now having my MacBook Air as well. And if I had a different laptop that wouldn't be able to be signed in with the same Apple ID and send me all of my notifications and have my calendar right there and all of these different right. things that just, it's just really nice and manage all my photos. Um, it just, I mean, you don't there have to think is, about it. There is iCloud for PC and you can log into iCloud.com, but it's definitely not the smooth integrated experience. It's it's more convenient than not having it at all, but it's definitely not the same experience. Right. That's a good point. All right. Do we have any other things we want to say about this? Well, the only any thing we didn't really thoughts? talk about is just it is interesting. Once again, the iPad didn't perform well in terms of it's down more than 20% year over year. And just, I mean, I know that people don't upgrade their iPads as often, but it still does make you wonder whether or not like that's a product category that's really like going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I see so many possibilities for it, but it's really in like education and enterprise. I mean, my daughter's backpack weighs at least 50 pounds. We've actually weighed it. Oh and she's often also carrying textbooks. And if you have an iPad at school, you can have all of your textbooks on it. And and it can just really like streamline that experience for students. But of course, that costs money for school districts and a lot of school districts are struggling. And then of course, Google is really aggressively going after the same educational market. Mm-hmm. And you know, Apple, Tim Cook talked about how they're, you know, really doing well, at least that's what I think he was trying to imply in the enterprise market with iPads, but I mean, they're at least going after it, but I don't know with these iPad numbers considering they just introduced a new kind of iPad, mm-hmm. you know, and then to still see like a 20% decrease. I don't know. It'd yeah, be interesting it doesn't to keep make, watching that. I mean, it kind of matches up with all of the reviews of the iPad Pro and what we have thought as well is that it's a really cool device, but it can't replace really any other device that you would need as a professional or as a, you know, creative person. So it's not going to be that many people who can afford an extra $1,000 to buy it, even if it is cool. So... 
I don't know. Right. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think that's the case, and and it'll be interesting to see how Microsoft does with with their latest generation of the Surface tablet, and and they've had sort of a struggling product in general. Um, but they're starting to get more and more things right. Right. Uh, the iPad Pro certainly took some cues from sort of that For system sure. of having a, a built-in keyboard. Um, and so it seems like Apple is recognizing that the future of the tablet market um, is in a more advanced user. But that said, they haven't brought their operating system along far enough for that really to, to take hold, in my opinion. And I really wonder what they're going to do with the operating system because Tim Cook has said that, no, we're not going to combine the iOS with OS X. But, it, I mean, it seems like he may have to eat those words at some point. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know if he necessarily has to combine them, but certainly they have to take some pretty significant steps forward on the iPad interface. The iPad has some iPad-only type features, but they're really just a couple of little add-ons here or there. And I think that in order to move that product forward, they really have to make a significant leap in the iPad's capabilities where the iPhone stays uh, closer to where it is. Um, and if that mm -hmm. doesn't happen, then I feel like the the complexity of the app development and that ecosystem is going to remain you know, more stagnant. Okay. So... You know, I, I guess what is the takeaway? The Q2 numbers aren't as dire as they seem. The future may be challenging, but bright in general for Apple and iPads, definitely the biggest area of challenge. Is that our takeaway? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that's definitely true. And the Apple Watch, it seems like we can't draw too many conclusions without seeing the numbers, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be a runaway product that's really going to make a huge difference to Apple's bottom line. Right. I mean, it's definitely maybe the most popular smartwatch out there, but um, smartwatches in general haven't taken off. And my personal theory is that they're basically fancy fitness trackers and fitness trackers end up in people's drawers because they make them feel bad about themselves like you were saying like oh all these numbers just show me how much I'm not walking and who wants to hear like a device telling them how much they suck at getting enough steps you know a reality check every day yeah nobody wants yeah. reality all right well I think that's it for today um thanks for listening you guys and thanks for sharing all of your <laughs> your insights about Apple's earning reports and thanks everyone we'll see you next week all right bye